I do not understand the mystery of grace, Anne Lamott writes in her book, Traveling Mercies. I do not understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are and does not leave us where it found us. Thank God for that. We are wading deep into the book of Acts this Easter season. Acts is all about the early church, and it's most widely understood as the follow-up to the book of Luke. So basically, the Gospel of Luke ends with Jesus' ascension after the resurrection, and the disciples watch him go. And then, Acts begins with Jesus' ascension, and the disciples having just watched him go. At the beginning of Acts, they're looking up. And these two angels show up, and they say, what are you guys doing? And the disciples go, uh, I guess we got to go be the church. So then they do. They go on ahead, being the church. They receive the Holy Spirit. Miracles began to happen, signs and wonders, the scriptures say. These disciples who, while Jesus was alive, were bickering about who was the best and never understood any of the stories he told, have finally got their you-know-what together and are living the gospel, serving the neighborhood, putting their collective work ahead of their individual wants and desires, living in a Christ-like way. So what happens? They got the same kind of response that Jesus did from the religious authorities, persecution. The scripture reads that the high priest was filled with jealousy, threw them in prison, telling them to stop preaching Jesus as Christ. So then, of course, another miracle, angel shows up, busts them out, they head right back to the temple to keep preaching and teaching Jesus is the Christ. And now these authorities are really mad. People do not disobey them. So they confront the apostles, saying, we told you to stop this. And Peter says, we got to obey God above any human authority. Oh, it's so high drama. Forget HBO. This is where the juicy stuff is. We must obey the God of our ancestors, our God, you know, the one who raised Jesus from the dead after you hung him on a tree? Peter says that to him. We obey him over you. Ah, and they were incensed, turning to violent beatings, trying to intimidate them into stopping preaching the gospel. But they didn't stop. They kept right on preaching and teaching, healing and serving the poor and baptizing new members all over the place. And then Stephen is arrested and he is stoned to death. And that's where we're introduced to Saul. Saul watched approvingly as the rocks pummeled Stephen's body until the life drained out of it. Saul is so on fire with hate for these Christians, he ups the ante. He's leading the charge in the relentless ravaging of the church. What I'm trying to convey here is background. 
as to how high the stakes were, how tense the situation was between the religious authorities and the early church. The stakes were so high, and Saul was ramping them up even further. At the beginning of our reading today, in another translation, it says, Saul was breathing down the necks of the disciples out for the kill. Saul is headed out to gather up Christians and put an end to this Jesus story once and for all. Except, God. God, as a blinding light, interrupts Saul's plans to ferret out these Jesus-loving religious renegades and knocks him on his behind. Saul is knocked off his feet and blinded by Jesus. Saul. Jesus calls him by his name, Saul. The one breathing threats, overseeing stoning, scheming against the men and women of Jesus' way. Saul, whose feet were moved to murder. Jesus calls him by name and says, I have something I want you to do. This is grace. The ridiculous and unabashed love of God intrudes into our places of self-righteousness, barges into our self-centered egos, and interrupts our most flagrant prejudices. In the Gospels, Jesus always met people at their point of pain. He proclaimed God's presence in the midst of that pain. And here Jesus shows up in the worst of Saul's behavior, which tells us that that Jesus doesn't stop meeting us there just because he's moved on from his earthly body. Then on the other side of town, poor Ananias doesn't know what's coming. If you were here last week, this is not the same Ananias, married to Sapphira, both of whom are now dead. The story has moved on and we're in Damascus now. We don't know much about this Ananias other than he is a disciple living nearby where Saul has just had this experience, which means he's living in the fear of being beaten, jailed or killed, and has just heard word of a man from Tarsus who is coming to round up the Christians. Ananias. Jesus called him by his name. Ananias, one of the persecuted, one of the terrorized. Jesus calls him by name and says, I have something I want you to do. And Ananias, God bless him, is like, I think we've got a bad connection here, God. I know you didn't just ask me to go lay hands on and heal this guy who was gonna try and kill us all, right? And God's like, yep, yep, did say that. Mm -hmm. So go on now, I need him to do some stuff. And you know what? He does. Ananias goes puts his hands on this violent, venomous, awful man, calls him brother, and prays for his healing. 
prays that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit, prays for Saul, all the things that, was ha- that were happening for the other disciples. This is grace. The ridiculous, unabashed love of God intrudes into our fear, faces our terror head on, and tells us to extend hands of love, of peace, of generosity to the very worst of our enemies. We might not admit it, but somewhere deep inside, we want God to be like us. We want a God that keeps records of wrongs, tears down enemies, serves up bitter justice to those who deserve it. We want God to be like us, but the good news, the gospel is that God is not like us at all. Instead, Jesus reveals to us that God doles out grace upon grace upon grace in unimaginable ways to unthinkable people. God doesn't smite Saul. God knocks down Saul and turns him into a Christian. God doesn't send Ananias to Saul in his blindness to take down his disciples' biggest threat. God sends Ananias to pray for and heal Saul. It isn't fair, but that's the point. Because we are all Saul, we have done the very worst. Said, oh, the very worst. We have acted selfishly, stubbornly, arrogantly. We have been close-minded and shallow. We have completely missed the most important things and devoted ourselves to that which is meaningless. We have lived lives with sentences, paragraphs, whole chapters that we couldn't imagine telling anyone for our shame. And in the midst of all that ugliness, God calls us by our name. Using whatever level of attention grabbing is necessary, calls us by our name and says, hey, I have something important for you to do. And grace, grace begins to seep in and our eyes are opened. We are relieved of our blindness to God's abundant love and we are changed. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But we aren't changed for our own sakes, no. Ananias was a follower, a disciple of Jesus, living a Christ-like life, and God called him by his name to do the unthinkable, to enter into the den of his persecutor, call him brother, and pray for his healing. We are all Ananias. God calls us by our names, transforms us through grace, and prepares us, like Ananias, to listen for our call to serve. As followers of Jesus, we can absolutely count on the fact that God will surprise us in the midst of a time of great fear, calling us to unimaginable depths of faith and love. Grace isn't fair, 
And that's the point. If it were fair, we'd all be screwed. God's love extends beyond the wrong thing, beyond the worst thing a person has ever done, and melts it all away. God's grace stands in the way. God's grace is the way. God's grace flows into us, through us, But it doesn't stop there. It flows out from us into a world that is desperately thirsty for it. Grace is real. Grace is unlimited. Grace is completely irrational. And grace is totally unconditional. Saul's encounter with Jesus was dramatic, no doubt blockbuster event. This is not the only way to encounter Jesus with a flash of light, a clap of thunder, a voice from beyond. Some here may have had these God claps. For others, their walk with Jesus is slow and steady. Or a popcorn of intermittent revelation. Some have had lives of greed and righteousness and anger miraculously changed into lives of love and peace and joy. And some have walked slow and steady with God through the ups and the downs. The way that God shows up in our lives is not the point here. The point is that God does show up in our lives. Not because we deserve it. Not because of what we have done or not done, but because of who God is. God chooses us in the midst of our muck and mire, knowing our most messy selves and surrounds us with a forgiveness and love that makes no sense. And then God calls us to do something profound, something ridiculous, something absurd and extravagant. God calls us to live a life of love, from that place of amazing grace. Amen.